Welcome back to the Catch Week Podcast, episode 30. Sweet Zero. Somehow we made it. Somehow a few of you are still watching, so credit to you, props to you. You clearly have good taste. Anyway, speaking of good taste, it was a very tasty weekend in the combat sports world. We had it all. We had the Olympics, which ended, of course. We had a huge UFC card. We had a very interesting night at Fight Camp and a load more going on in the world of combat sports that we know and love. Cyril Garn crowned interim heavyweight champion when he stops Derek Lewis in the third round. Kid Galahad finally realising his dream of becoming a world champion. We had the Olympic gold medalist at super heavyweight and, of course, other divisions crowned. We even had Michael Conlon on, a, on the weekend the Olympics ended. We all know what happened to him in 2016, getting back into the ring in front of a partisan crowd in Belfast. So we're going to break that all down here in episode 3-0 of Catchway. So we'll lead with, of course, the biggest story of the weekend, although there was plenty in Houston, Texas, the UFC returned with UFC 265, the main event, kind of one that you couldn't really justify. Of course, there was that controversy about giving Francis Ngannou's title a bit less credibility by handing an interim title to either Cyril Garland or Derek Lewis. None of those cared, though. Derek Lewis came in, switched on, focused, and he only landed about three punches on Cyril Garland, who had a striking masterclass on the night. And what a way to throw his name into the mix. This guy only made his professional debut in MMA three years ago, and that is unbelievable, the way he's come about and just completely changed the game in terms of his striking and his ability to mix things up so well and just have his opponents with no answer whatsoever. Derek Lewis had no answer at all. This fight kind of went the way most people expected, with um, Cyril Gard being dominant, and Derek Lewis had you know the Hail Mary shot, which... Garn obviously was too wary of and too intelligent to get caught by and he finished him in the third round. But before we break down that deeper, because there's plenty to talk about that fight and of course the implications of that, we're going to quickly run through what was quite a fantastic prelim card. We had um, Johnny Munoz with a submission win over um, Jamie Simmons. My thoughts on that fight? Well matched on the feet, but Munoz had the striking credentials and when it went down to the mat, that's what that's what mattered. We had another broken bone. So this is um, ever since the UFC introduced the crowd's back into the action again since April. We've had a broken bone on every card. This card was no different. It was Melissa Gatto who suffered a broken arm at the end of the second round. The doctor found realised there was a groove and a bit of a crack in the arm. Did not let her continue. Fair enough. One of the less gruesome bone breaks, but it's a bone break nonetheless. So fighters, be careful. Watch out. Congratulations to Victoria Leonardo on that win. In my opinion, the knockout of the night, one of the knockouts of the year, Miles Johns absolutely destroys Anderson Dos Santos. You've got to watch a clip of this if you haven't already. He goes low with the left hook and then goes over the top with a right right hand that just completely destroys Dos Santos. The the, the movement, the, the, just everything was perfect about that. The way he loaded up the hips and just moved all his energy from the left hook to the right, which is an unbelievable KO. And then Manel Cape. I think a lot of fans who have watched them, of course, in other promotions, there were hardcore fans who could see MMA across not just the UFC, but other promotions, would have finally been happy to see Manel Cape truly arrive and show what he's made of. He lands a flying knee on Ode Osborne and it gets the job done about time. And it's, you know, maybe this could, could be the, the, the kickstart he needs to his UFC career after quite a poor start beforehand where he just, you know, didn't really fight to his strengths. And, and in this case, he did. Prelims, Jessica Penn and Carolina Kowalke, which this is a throwback fight, you know, a throwback fight from the last decade. We had the former title challenger, or both had been um, battered by Joanna Jacek during her dominant strawweight title reign. And here we have Jessica Penne, Handing Caroline Nicole which her fifth consecutive loss in the meanwhile, getting back to back losses after her, her whole USADA saga. Where do we go with Caroline Nicole which She said in Polish and social media afterwards that she does maybe need to find a new passion and, you know, 
I'm going to have to agree with that. You, you've, suffering, you've suffered five straight losses now, and it's just getting worse. You know, the decision maker was poor there to go to the ground with Penny when she clearly had, clearly had the striking advantage, and she paid for it. So, yeah, um, in terms of Jessica Penny, fair play to her. You know, you would have thought this is someone that would have faded into into the abyss afterwards, but here we go, 2021, and she's picking up the wins. Alonso Minifield and Ed Herman had a interesting fight. Alonso Minifield, of course, got the win. But let's be honest, he could have got a much more impressive win. And I know a win's a win. Maybe he did the right thing, but the fans were booing for a reason. He had Ed Herman, the veteran, who's been fighting in the UFC for like 15 years, by the way. He had him hobbled and wobbled by the end of the first round. His leg was destroyed, but Minifield decides to kind of cruise and safely get the win, which is, you know, yeah, it's a win, but it's a win over Ed Herman, a guy who's experienced nonetheless, but a guy who's, um, you know, not, not the biggest of names and, if you're coasting against a guy like that, then you're not going to really get, get the love from the fans that, that you crave. But Vince Morales gets the better of Draco Rodriguez and, and a fight that, you know, not much to say about that. One of those, you know, competitive, typical fights, you know, top level analysis here on Gatchweight. And then here's the fight of the night. The last prelim, the feature prelim, Rafael Fiziev and Bobby Green. This was going to be a really good look at where Fiziev is at in terms of his ability and in terms of his potential. And I think he's getting a lot of criticism for this fight. Both men were talking. Both men were, were, were giving it a lot of verbal. And um, we saw Green's movement, his his shoulder rolls. They're, they're very unique to him, and he's just had so much experience of doing that. And here we have him landing a couple of big shots against Rafael Fazeev, who himself did get very tired. So, yeah, there are the cardio question marks that come with Rafael Fazeev now, who did get the job done, of course. He did get the win. Yeah, I mean, I think what Fazeev struggled with the most was, was just, you know, cutting the octagon off. And um, someone mentioned that this was probably because, you know, this guy's used to fighting in rings, which is a, a fantastic point. An octagon, eight sides, a ring, four sides. It's going to be very much harder to cut your opponent off and trap them where you want to go, especially when you're moving the way Bobby Green does and, you, you know, likes to shoulder roll and exit out from one side. And, um, yeah, Fazeev, I think, you know, this is never... Well, Bobby Green is kind of hard to look good against unless you're... You know, unless you're like a Dustin Poirier or someone who can just shut the lights out. Um, Fiziev just couldn't couldn't really land a big dynamite shot, but you know he he got some good experience in there, and and that is always good going forward. All right, onto the main card. We start with Songi Dong defeating Casey Kenny. The most interesting thing here to me wasn't what happened in the fight, but it was the fact that Casey Kenny jumped up onto the octagon after and celebrated, despite coming forward for the whole fight and getting not picked apart, but just getting. Yeah, actually, you know what? Pretty much getting picked apart, in, for want of a better term or better expression. Songi Dong was just working him, going to the, going downstairs, going to the legs, and Casey Kenny had just struggled a bit. I think Casey Kenny took a few steps back from his performance against Dominic Cruz, where he seemed much more switched on. Here, he kind of just wanted to get your dong out of there, and that's not a good idea. Your dong himself, twenty three years old now, plenty of potential. Going to be very interesting to see how how he develops as a fighter. Tisha Torres and Angela Hill. After their snooze fest six years ago in Mexico City, of course, you could blame Altitude for that. Tisha Torres once again gets the better of Angela Hill, this time in much more convincing and somewhat entertaining fashion. The speed advantage was there from the start. Angela Hill was just keeping her, keeping just two out, two out there in exchange and able to pull her hands back in time to really just avoid the shots or, or you know, bounce with Torres, who was just, you know, moving around just too hard to pin down for Angela Hill, um, landing some good kicks to the body. Just overall a great a great fight, a great performance from her and um, the double legs at the end, well-timed and 
just a good good addition to um, her game, really. Uh, five straight wins now for her, I believe. So, you know, that could be a name to look out for in the story division now. You know, these these women only have a, a couple of wins before they could really make some noise in the division. Look at Juliana Pena, who would have been fighting on this card after winning one fight. So, you know, there is a lot of um, room for, or a lot of a lot of room to capitalize on for these fighters. Now, onto one of the outside of the main event, probably the most impressive performance of the whole whole weekend. Vicente Luque submits Michael Chiesa. That's why right. the Brazilian beats Chiesa at his own game and he does it in some fashion. So they open up. Luque takes the centre of the octagon to Chiesa, circling, using lateral movement around the edges of the cage as, a, as, an expect, as an expect. Obviously, people were waiting for Chiesa to shoot in. But before that, he did land a good one-two down the pipe. So, you know, that was some good success for Chiesa. Chiesa then times the takedown beautifully, um, manages to scramble on top of Luque and get, get his back couple of choke attempts Luke does very well to relax and just he just really defeated the body triangles kind of bundled up and Kiesa couldn't wrap his legs around him and then in the scramble the veteran Kiesa makes the ever so costly mistake of leaving his head exposed as he tries to get up and that falls into the das of Vicente Luque the same das that put Tyron Woodley away and the das that Kiesa tried to roll out of but it was very tight and I think Kiesa realized that and he just had to tap this is an unbelievable performance from who I believe, maybe not now because of how much attention these last two wins are going to get him, the dark horse in the welterweight division. This is a fighter who is, who is you know, coming onto his own. He's got his own savage streak to him, brilliant submission skills. He's got a lot of power on the feet as well, and he's riding some great momentum now. The welterweight division is, is it's got a bit of a logjam at the moment. You know, we've got Kamaru and Usman, Kamaru and Colby, excuse me, set to battle it out in November, possibly in Madison Square Garden in New York City. We've got Leon Edwards waiting in the wings. He's, of course, more than worthy of a title shot. Gilbert Burns, who did obviously just lose to the champ. He's got a big win over Wonderboy, so that will throw things into the mix as well. And then we've got Vicente Luque as well. If I'm Luque, I think the likelihood of getting a title shot is still a bit out of the way because you never know how Colby versus Usman could go. You never know if Leon's going to be next or if you know they'll do Leon versus Burns. So, and of course, Burns and Luque are training partners. So I'll say the best move for Luque is probably to take on a Masvidal or even a Nate Diaz and get that big fight, that big name. I think he's a great dance partner for either fighter. And I think he can beat him at their own game in a five-round war, which will be very good for his stock. And of course, just another step forward towards that title contention for the time being. I don't think the best thing for him now would be to wait on the sidelines. But equally, there are a few matchups he should still avoid. I think Wonderboy is still a bad fight for him. Um, I think Edwards... You know, they did fight in like 2017. I still think Edwards may make the better of him just because he's sharper on the feet and he will he won't let Luque draw him into a wall or draw him into, you know, anything on the ground. But yeah, I'll take Edwards versus Luque as well. I think from a purely matchmaking standpoint, I think that is a fight to make in terms of a title eliminator. But both, of course, have their own warrants for title right, title fight in their own right. But Luque is, um, yeah, he is for real. And um, he's shown it once again to, to submit Chiesa who himself, you know, it was just a mistake on his part. Um, he'll still be a, a threat in the welterweight division for sure. But, you know, this was not how he expected to go out of all things to get to get caught in the submission. On to the co-main event. As a Jose Aldo fan, as a admirer of his work, it's someone who I believe is in the top five for UFC pound fight all time. Seeing him land the most significant strikes of his career in the co-main event against Pedro Munoz was so satisfying. That was an unbelievable performance for the King of Rio, and it, you've just got to put it into perspective. This guy has been at the top of the fight game for longer than most. He's ruled at the featherweight division. He's been 
catastrophically knocked off the perch, not only by Conor McGregor, but by Max Holloway twice. And now here he is cutting down 10, for 10 more pounds to the UFC's most stacked division right now and knocking off one of their most perennial and uh, dangerous contenders in a manner like that. I think this guy just deserves all the props and just he's just strengthening his debate for you know one of the best fighters of all time and possibly keeping his hopes alive of becoming a two-weight world champion, which I think, you know, people really don't forget P.T. Yan and Jose Aldo went to war and fight Ireland last year. It was a lot closer than most people thought, of course, until Aldo tired in the championship rounds and Yan was able to take over. I think Aldo has, has improved a lot since then. Most importantly, his defence, of course, when, he, when you're getting older, when he's taken as much damage as Aldo has, he's been in all these wars. For him to be focusing on the defence as much as he does, you know, turning his head away and circling out, Munoz was never able to catch him or cut him off. Meanwhile, Aldo was getting his reads. Aldo went to the leg kicks a bit in the third, but you know his body punching and just the speed of his combinations caused Munoz all sorts of trouble. And Aldo's boxing, you know, he's always talked about his desire to compete in boxing, just like Anderson Silva did. Maybe you know Aldo's thirty-four. We could see him go pro boxing down the line. I'd fancy his chances against you know decent level competition. But the way Aldo was able to mix it up here and just completely nullify Pedro Munoz, I think. Munoz just expended his energy a bit early on. I think he was probably feeling the moment a bit when he's fighting someone who you've idolised like Jose Aldo and then you go in there, he's throwing spinning kicks and stuff. It doesn't do you a lot of favour favours in terms of the cardio. Aldo's cardio, you know, I know it's a three-round fight, but he didn't I would have expected him to be a bit a bit to be a bit more tired than he was in the third round. He paced himself well, yet he still managed to get the most significant strikes of his career. So, you know, I think there's a lot of favourable favourable matchups for him. I think if Aldo was, was to have lost to Munoz, I think they could have fed him fed him to Sean O'Malley. I think they'll keep Sean O'Malley well away from him at the moment. I think Aldo versus Dillashaw is a, is a cracking fight. Aldo versus Sanhagen. There's so many fantastic matchups now that, you know, when you consider the bantamweight division outside of Aldo, it was already stunning. And then you add the pound-for-pound pound great into the mix. It just makes things so much better. What a performance from Aldo. Just put it all together on the night. And, you know, if he's going to be this defensively responsible in his fights now, I think there's even more of a problem. Um, from, yeah, so that's what I'd like to see Aldo in there with Dillashaw or Sandhagen. But, you know, I think also possibly that I wouldn't be surprised if they put him as a backup for uh, Jan versus Sterling too. You know, especially if Sterling falls out. I mean, if Jan falls out, um, I think Sterling's got a got a a bad night ahead of him for his first title defence with someone who can defend takedowns the way Aldo does. But yeah, I'm very interested to see how long or, you know, he's one win away from title contention for sure. He's 34 and he's making improvements like this. It's, it's unbelievable. Who would have thought, you know, less than six years after the, the moment of truth, the, that fateful night where Conor McGregor knocked out Aldo in 13 seconds, that here we are, McGregor, the biggest villain in the game, the fans turning on him, McGregor, you know, becoming a, a, big, a big heel, so to speak, and people writing him off. And here we have Jose Aldo still in title contention. I mean, it is just unbelievable how, how this fight game works. And now finally, onto the main event. Cyril Garn outclasses and then stops Derek Lewis. I think, you know, people wouldn't be surprised to see Cyril Garn outclassing Lewis because of the striking credit credentials of, his, of him, the fact that Lewis is a bit one-dimensional. But for Garn to step on the gas the way he did and, you know, you, you could see the malice in his eyes when he was going to finish Derek Lewis in that third round. This is a dangerous heavyweight and this is not just a heavyweight that Ngannou can play play pitter-patter with around around the ring in a, a little kickboxing fight. You know, Ngannou has a serious challenge on his hands here and I think Ngannou has proved that in such a short period of time that this fight 
you know, who cares if we're not getting Ngannou versus Jones now? We're getting Ngannou versus Cyril Garner. And I think that's a big-time heavyweight fight, one of the, the biggest heavyweight fights in recent memory, for sure. Um, and, you know, hopefully they can do, even do it in France, of course. The Frenchman, Cyril Garner, um, who's fighting in a place where the sport's only recently been legalised. You know, what, what more What more can you say? There was a uh, range for the whole fight. He just couldn't mix anything up to, to change that way. I think Garland anticipated the right hand throughout the fight and there was nothing nothing really he could do about it. And I think what became even more demoralising for Derek Lewis was the fact that when he went for the body locks, when he tried to use the, the 20 pound or so weight advantage on Garland, Garland just controlled him. Like, it wasn't even a strength thing. It was more just the technical ability of Garland to you know, have his underhooks in the right position, have his feet in the right position and give Derek Lewis no chance to even physically impose him and tire him out. So, yeah, this, this guy is a, is a big puzzle and this was an unbelievable performance, a, an evolution of MMA, right? This was, you know, all the skills that you build and the, the way the sport has grown over the years and it just all came to to fruition in, in that moment. And, yeah, I'm just, I'm just seeing what else. There was a lot, a lot to talk about this fight, just the way you put it all together. But, so simplistically as well, just chopped away at the leg. You know, the, the leg kicks were so quick and that is where his Muay Thai, uh, the fast twitch muscle fibers all just help him out so much. Just chopping away at that leg. Lewis was hobbled. Lewis obviously couldn't plant his feet. Of course, when Lewis does set his feet, he, he comes in properly, almost stomps, stomps himself, stomps down. Anytime he had to, he ate a leg kick and had to reset. It's just simple one-to-one -one going going to the well with that kick and it does what well, might be similar of Ngannou you know not necessarily a patient Ngannou but the Ngannou that just loves to plant his feet and and throw 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 those big haymakers I think Ngannou will be looking at that lead leg and trying to chop it up and yeah this that fight is something I could talk about for ages because you know you've got Ngannou with the great equalizer but also Ngannou has shown he can change things up he can mix it up a bit now this is not more going to be more of an MMA fight than a striking fight, and I think that's because Ngannou would want less in the striking realm. He knows he can put the lights out, but I think he's got a tired Garn out or something along those lines. And uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if Garn was the favourite at this point, which is unbelievable to think that Garn was just headlining a boring fight night with Rosenstrike the the same time, and Garn won the belt. But that is how quickly the game changes. And um, yeah, what what a big heavyweight fight we have to look forward to now in the. In the future, the only unbeaten champion in the UFC worked his way up incredibly well. Derek Lewis, it just wasn't meant to be. I was encouraged by Derek Lewis's signs over the week. He was in Houston. You know, we saw him going from eating barbecue ribs on fight night to doing strength and conditioning in embedded episodes. I mean, quite a long way to go if you're Derek Lewis. And, you know, he just was completely outmatched. And maybe he was unfortunate not to get the Ngannou fight because he would have had a lot more chances to hit Ngannou as Ngannou would have had to hit him. But, you know, it wasn't meant to be. And, and, here we go now with, with, with a massive, massive title fight. Congratulations to Ogan. Bon Gamin, the good kid, has never looked better. Now on to the boxing. So, fight camp night two or week two of fight camp. Another stunning week it was. Headlined by Kid Galahad's 11th round stoppage of Jazza Dickens to win the IBF featherweight title. But before that, we had some great fights on the card as well. Ebony Bridges, a fan favourite, gets another strong win. Johnny Fisher, a prospect, does well against quite a tough opponent. The savage Alan Babic, one of the more entertaining fighters in the matchroom roster, known for his his um, facades, his fantastic mindset and his uh, willingness just to fight, was fighting someone who had about 60 pounds on him, Nathan Bennett, 
They said, but it took so much punishment. These guys were winging at it. I'm not sure how Babic was able to maintain such volume. And then he finally gets a stoppage when the corner bring it to an end. Of course, Babic then proposes to his girlfriend. So congratulations to him on that. In terms of Babic going forward, he is fighting at heavyweight. I really think he should look at the cruiserweight division or, you know, bridgeweight if that's the thing. You know, the size, you can't really make up for size when, he, when he's throwing that much volume. I think he could have a lot of success in, in a cruiserweight division. Who knows, they might go with the Akoli fight down the route with both fighters in the same stable. But, yeah, I think he should maybe just put, put the pride to one side and just accept, you know, you're a smaller frame. Just give it a go at, at cruiserweight. And then if you have a success at cruiser, you can work your way up. Actually start lifting some weights, get some strength and conditioning and go to work, go go further up. Um, a fun domestic heavyweight fight ended in the first round. Nick Webb had a great start against Fabio Wardley, caused him a bit of trouble with the jab and just the awkward technical style. And then Wardley's like, just had a... You know, Michael Jordan, I took that personal, personally moment and just went and landed a big shot. Had um, Webb just cradled up in the corner, take his punishment, and the referee stops it there and then. And then on to the main event. So I think Jezza Dickens' adrenaline probably carried him through that first round. He landed some good left hands that wrapped around the guard of Kid, Kid Galahad. But then I think ever since he landed that first left hand, that's all he wanted to land for most of the fight. Whereas Kid Galahad was on, on his feet, jabbing, of course, doing his infamous tactics, stepping on the toes, a couple of low shots there as well. But that is how Galahad operates. Very technical performance, but a very a performance where he just went from strength to strength. He was in cruise control from about the midpoint of the fight, especially with Jazza Dickens all bloodied up. But he just decided to push further, and it really did become a beatdown by, by the championship rounds. I think the corner could have stopped it maybe one or two rounds earlier, but this was possibly Jazza Dickens' last world title fight. So you can't forgive him too much for doing their fighter a, dis a service like that. But yeah, Dickens was just outmatched really by the technically superior fighter. The, the jab of Galahad was phenomenal. This is a fighter who, of course, thought he won the fight against, Gal against Warrington last year or the year before. And yeah, I was just, I was, I was very impressed by Galahad, I think. He just controlled the fight very well. He, he fought at his own pace. We all thought he was very sucked out and gaunt at the weigh-in, so that would affect his gas tank, but he didn't even let that become an issue. So props to Kid Galahad, a featherweight division that has now blown wide open. Of course, Lee Wood winning the WBA regular title last week. You've got Warrington and Lara fighting in the rematch in Headingley next month. And I think Galahad's going to try and make as much progress and, and try and take over this division as much as he can now with the IBF title. Probably have a mandatory in Sheffield at some point. But congratulations to Galahad. This is a fighter who, of course, spoke about meeting Prince Nassim at a local mosque. A local mosque. Um, being told to train with Brendan Ingle and of course I'm sure Brendan Ingle will be smiling over fight camp on Saturday night to see Kid Galahad finally achieve his dream in such a way, such a disciplined performance and one where all his technical skills just came to, to fruition against uh, Dickens who was just more one dimensional looking for that power shot. Galahad did take some of the big shots as well and rode them well and that was just part of the process for him going on to, to win in the way he did so congratulations to Kid Galahad the new IBF featherweight champion of the world, a massive win Finally, world champion, a long time coming. He had, of course, a drug controversy, the failed drug tests, a couple of, of shortfalls, and now there he is at the pinnacle of the sport. Speaking of fighters who um, may get to the pinnacle of the sport, we had the Olympic boxing tournament end with the super heavyweight title fight. Bakadir Jalolov, who beat Richard Torres in 2019 in the world championships in the controversial knockout. Of course, Jalolov is a professional. He got the job done against Schwenner. He got the job done against job done against Richard Torres um, today for this weekend in the Olympics as well. Richard Torres came with aggression, but 
I just felt he's a bit too short for him, really. And Jalolov was able to use his reach so well, just keeping him at the end of the punches. And anytime Torres did get close to try and bundle a shot, it'd either be too close or too far for him. And that was ultimately the recipe to his success. The professional Uzbek has secured gold over his former foe. Um, and yeah, just got 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 the reads. And a big win for GB. Birmingham's Galal Yafai, who was knocked out of the round of 16 in Rio. Of course, the brother of the Yafai brothers, the former world champion, Cal Yafai, just made an absolute statement with his gold medal win, uh, dropping Carlo Palam in the first round before going on to win the fight on the judges' scorecards. He's been in such entertaining tussles and bust and fights, and he's just shown us so much experience that he's come across in the last five years. And so a great decision not to turn over from 2016. And, and here he reaps the rewards now with the whole of the pro game at his beckoning. Fantastic win for Yafai. Uh, GB have six medals, um, a very big achievement for them, but it is the Cuban domination once again. The Cuban boxing has has taken over the world once again. People struggle with the often the southpaw and just the whole wing craft is a complete package from the Cubans. We saw it all. I'm glad that judging was much less of an issue. I think the IOC did aim to make it much more transparent, of course, after the scandals before, such as Michael Conlon, which we'll move on to after this. And yeah, it was a very fun tournament. Um, good to see more women's divisions being added as well and you know not long now till Paris well, I wonder if some of these um, fighters who fell short will hang around again just it's only three years till the next games or if they'll go or if they'll go into the pro scene but plenty of talent to, to keep our eyes on now in the pro journey and that is why we love the Olympics seeing these young talents come through like the Anthony Joshua's the Floyd Mayweather's and the Usyk's and, and, and beyond speaking of um, a former Olympic boxer Michael Conlon dropped um, D- uh, Dohany in um, the first round in his homecoming fight in Belfast before winning the interim WBA featherweight title. It's all going off in featherweight right now, isn't it? Especially in the British Isles. But what a weekend it was. I think we're about done. I think my, my brain cells are still recovering from watching about 12 hours of fights on Saturday night. Of course, I enjoyed them, though. I think we all do when we when we watch, put so much effort into the sport. But yeah, we'll, we'll keep it all covered as usual. Thank you for tuning in to episode 30 of Catchweight. We're keeping the content coming and we'll see you very soon.